0: Ezekiel chapter 23, this morning's text for the preaching and the reading of God's word. Once again, uh, Ezekiel uh, is prophesying to the already exiled community of God's people in Babylon in about 591 BC. And as we have seen through these chapters, he's been relentlessly using a variety of metaphors and images and parables in order to explain the cause of the coming judgment of God upon Jerusalem. The judgment which will culminate with a Babylonian siege and destruction of the city in 586 B.C. Chapter 16, the longest chapter in Ezekiel, already used the same theme we are going to look at in Ezekiel chapter 23. We saw that about three months ago, how God used the theme of marital unfaithfulness to indict the people for their sins and idolatries. And God's people were depicted there as a faithless bride and an adulterous wife, and in fact a serial prostitute in their covenant relationship with the Lord. And our chapter this morning, which is also fairly lengthy, elaborates on that theme, and it's going to do so even more graphically. Uh, We are told here the story of two adulterous sisters. Their names are Ohola and Oholibah, And they correspond to Samaria and Jerusalem, the two capitals of northern and southern kingdoms. And so God uses these two figures in order to explain the history of spiritual adultery of the two kingdoms of his people. Uh, In our chapter this morning, the first 21 verses will simply recount that history. And it's a sorry tale of adultery, the violation of the covenant, and their whoring after other nations and idols. And the rest of our chapter Uh, will announce the coming judgment upon Jerusalem as a result. So that's the two main uh, division of our passage. And just to give you a heads up, we're going to see many sordid descriptions of immorality and idolatry in our passage. I want simply to remind you of Romans 15.4, which says, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, god's people might have hope so do keep that in mind as we hear these details Uh, even this unseemly chapter of sin and judgment is ultimately a message of hope and salvation in jesus christ this is given for our benefit people of god and so be reminded of that that this word is given to strengthen and to encourage you as the saints through the knowledge of jesus christ well let's uh, pray first before we hear god's word preached as well as read to us, uh, let's look to our God together. A gracious God and Heavenly Father, we uh, rejoice in your word, which is pure and flawless. Your word is like silver refined in a furnace, set, purified seven times. is true and utterly reliable and truthful and powerful. And we confess that through it, you go on sanctifying our hearts. And we pray that in the exposition of the scriptures, you would magnify your own name before us as your people. We would see you as worthy of praise, and you would draw out of our, draw out of our hearts, and draw out of our lives, uh, sincere and uncompromising devotion and love to you as our Lord and husband. We pray that you'd fill our souls in this hour with godly reverence and joyful and holy fear, uh, because we have come to know you, and you are our God, and we are your people. And we ask these blessings all in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 23, uh, give attention to the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They played the whore in Egypt, they played the whore in their youth. There, their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms handled. Ohola was the name of the elder and Oholiba the name of her sister. They became mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Ohola is Samaria, the northern kingdom, and Oholaba is Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. Ohola played a whore while she was mine. She lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors, clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses, She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choices of men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt, for in her youth men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her. Therefore I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians, after whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness. They seized her sons and her daughters, and as for her, they killed her with a sword. And she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed on her. Her sister, Aholaba, saw this, and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way. But she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, Wearing belts on their waists, with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. After the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust, and after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust when she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her as I turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played a whore in the land of Egypt and lusted after her lovers there whose members were like those of donkeys and whose issue was like that of horses. Thus you long for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. Therefore, uh, oho thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up against you your lovers from whom you turned in disgust, and I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekod and Shoah and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, desirable young men, governors and commanders of all of them, Officers and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you from the north with chariots and wagons and a host of peoples. They shall set themselves against you on every side with buckler, shield, and helmet. And I will commit the judgment to them. And they shall judge you according to their judgments. And I will direct my jealousy against you. And they may deal with you, that they may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and ears, and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes, and take away your beautiful jewels. Thus I will put an end to your lewdness and your whoring begun in the land of Egypt, so that you shall not lift up your eyes to them or remember Egypt anymore. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands of those from whom you turned in disgust. And they shall deal with you in hatred, and take away all the fruit of your labor, and leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. Your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you, because you play the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols, you have gone the way of your sister, therefore I will give her cup into your hand. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision for it contains much. You shall be, you will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breasts. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. The Lord said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ohola and Oholibah? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. With their idols, they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them for food, the children whom they had borne to me. Moreover, this they have done to me, they have defiled my sanctuary on the same day, and profaned my sabbaths. For even when they had slaughtered their children in sacrifice to their idols on the same day, they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch, with a table spread before it, on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her, and with men of the common sort, drunkards, were brought from the wilderness, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said of her, who was worn out by adultery. Now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her. For they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went into Ahola, and to Aholaba lewd women But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with a sentence of adulteresses and with a sentence of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, Bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and a plunder. And the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus will I put an end to lewdness in the land. That all women may take warning. And not commit lewdness as you have done. And they shall return your lewdness upon you. And you shall bear the penalty. For your sinful idolatry. And you shall know. That I am the Lord God. that's what ends this reading in God's holy word. But the chapter, if very graphic, is not very hard to understand. God's covenant binds his people uh, to himself in a bond that is similar to the exclusive relationship of marriage. Throughout the scriptures, God calls his people in a covenant relationship to faith, love, and obedience. But the history of God's covenant people in the old, as we see in this chapter, is one of spiritual infidelity. The people violated the covenant through their unbelief and idolatry and transgressions. And it is like cheating on the Lord with other gods and nations. And it's not just spiritual adultery that is depicted. The chapter paints the picture as much more worse than that. Uh, this is positively prostitution committed by a married woman, a person and nation belonging to God, whoring after multiple lovers, offering herself for gains while being to the Lord. Rather than trusting in the Lord alone, rather than serving God wholeheartedly as they were called to, uh, these people kept trying to solve their problems by international diplomacy. Uh, They turned to other nations, resulting in countless encounters with multiple partners whom they lusted after. Uh, This always has been in their heart and in their nature. The Lord says, that they, the people of God, played a whore in the land of Egypt. We see that in verses 1 through 4. Uh, they were adulterers and idolaters even before they were redeemed. But the disease of Egypt continued to cling to them even after their redemption. The history of the northern kingdom, which is based in the capital Samaria, bears witness to that and you see that recounted in verses 5 through 10. We see the elder sister named Ahola who kept lusting after Assyrians, who defiled herself with their idols. And it is all to her own destruction. And we read that the Assyrians took advantage of the northern kingdom, uncovered her nakedness, and uncovered her in a way that ultimately brought uh, judgment and exile. The Hebrew word for uncovered is the exact same word for exiled or exposed, And here God is explaining that history as it unfolded, the northern kingdom destroyed and exiled by the Assyrians when God delivered Ahola into their hands to be killed with a sword when the judgment was to be executed upon her. So the northern kingdom came to an end in 722 BC. But now some 131 years later, Jerusalem is still standing Samaria's sister, Oholaiba, is even worse. Uh, We see her uh, adultery recounted in verses 11 through 21. She lusted after a succession of lovers. She went after the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and then back to the Egyptians as she increased her whoring at each turn and tried to rely on the pagan nations for deliverance rather than the Lord, her covenant God, as she saw, even we read in verse 14, the wall images of the Babylonian officers, young men, desirable men, on riding on horses, and she lusted after them and sent messengers after them to bring them into the land of uh, Judea and Jerusalem. Incidentally, it's the same kind of things that happen in the 21st century on the computer screen. Take no brothers and sisters. That's something that also happened in the 6th century BC. How the uh, southern kingdom, this desire gave birth to sin and just take notice of how the sin developed. It's all through the eyes that they saw the wall image and they committed adultery. And Babylonians came into the bed of love and we read that they defiled, uh, Aholiba, the sister, but it only lasted a little. We read that Aholaiba got sick of the Babylonians and she turned away from Babylon in disgust and then turned back to the Egyptians, the old lovers with their animal-like lust, depicted in verse 20, and they turned to nations after nations. In all their lewdness and whoring, they are now on the receiving end of God's promised judgment. The Lord says... In the ensuing verses, the Babylonians will come. Uh, Those after whom they lusted will come on their stallions with chariots and wagons, decked with buckler, shield, and helmet. And the Babylonians, their former lovers, will be the instrument of God's wrath and fury. And what Oholiba lusted after, what she trusted in, will be the cause of her downfall. As we see so often in spiritual things, what she trusted in in, and what she went after will be the cause of her downfall. And so she'll bear the consequences of her adultery. The last verse of our chapter says, clearly the Lord's pronouncement, you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry. So that's basically the message of our chapter. It's another chapter that brings the word of judgment, the impending judgment that will be fulfilled in about five years' time when Ezekiel uh, spoke these words. And the question is, how then does this apply to us? How does this message of judgment apply to us as the church in the 21st century? Well, from this national history of unfaithfulness to the Lord, and from these two sisters' mirror accounts of accounts of spiritual adultery, we see lessons that are applicable at the individual level in our covenant relationship with the Lord. We see some lessons and perspectives that the gospel teaches us about sin and judgment. And so I want simply to touch upon five such lessons with you briefly uh, before we move on to the main point uh, today with which we'll finish the sermon. I want to briefly touch upon five perspectives or lessons uh, before we land upon the main point this morning. Five things about sin and judgment that the gospel reveals to us. And the first thing we need are reminded here is that sin is something that never satisfies people. Sin is never something that will satisfy people, but only will leave sinners even more miserable. look at where all this whoring, all this lusting after leads Oholaiba to in the end. These are fleeting pleasures of sin. And they, as much as she engages in them, drive her into further misery. She turns away from the lovers in disgust. And at the same time, she cannot stop. She's miserable. There's an insatiable desire that she's after. And this is what turning away from God always does. This is what happens when you serve and live for something else rather than the living God and the true fountain of life. As we'll see tonight, the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us, even the good things in themselves, left by themselves, are vanity of vanities, how much more so for sin. And when you sin, the result is always going to be misery. It never satisfies but it makes you always miserable. And when you do not positively draw near to the fountain of living waters, all you're going to be left with are broken cisterns that cannot hold water, that cannot promise life and satisfaction. There is an insatiable desire, but sin will always leave you not satisfied, but disgusted in the end. And we see in our passage that that's what um, Aholabah discovers and even when we trace through the lines of redemptive history, that's what centuries later, Ohola's daughter, a woman of Samaria, discovers. The woman whom Jesus meets at the well in John chapter 4. The woman who had five husbands and a living lover at the time of encounter with Jesus. And when Jesus said to her in his grace, whoever drinks of this water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. But this is something that she has never discovered in her sinfulness. Uh, But, Lord, where can I find this water? And yet the gospel declares to miserable sinners that there is such a water that satisfies to your uh, eternal uh, longing, satisfies your eternal longing. The water of eternal life, the water of the Spirit that the Lord Jesus gives, and the gospel reveals to us what Christ alone can give to sinners in the gospel in salvation. And those who turn away from that provision of life in pursuit of sin, we're reminded in this chapter, find only misery. In the end, all sin and idolatry lead people to are even more disgust, even more dissatisfaction, and even more misery. That's the first lesson we see. But then secondly, notice along with sin's uh, misery, Notice, secondly, sin's self-destructive power. Surely, every sin and idolatry, every immorality incurs God's wrath and condemnation. But even before the day of judgment, we see in this chapter that sin and idolatry given over to, they themselves are part of the punishment to be endured by the sinner and idolater. Even before the day of judgment, when judgment will be fully executed, the sin and idolatry to which people are given over themselves are the part of the judgment and punishment that God gives to the sinner and idolater. Sin itself, in other words, is part of the punishment. When the Lord gives them over to it and its fruit, and we see that in our passage in terms of the all the illicit lovers that the sisters pursued, in the end turning for them, the very instrument of punishment unto them. Notice verses we see in our chapter to that end. Verse 9, the Lord says to Ahola, I delivered her into the hands of her lovers after whom she lusted. The ones she committed spiritual adultery with became the very instrument of God's judgment against her. And so they came and killed her, we read in verse 9. And verse 22, now speaking of Aholaibah, The Lord says, I will stir up against you, your lovers from whom you turned against in disgust. Although you turning against your former lovers, I will yet bring them against you. And we see the same note down in verse 28. I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate. And they shall deal with you in hatred. Take away all the fruit of your labor. Leave you naked. And their pursuit of sin will always be self-destructive. Sin will prove to be the end for sinners. And verse 30, your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you. And we see this played out in human lives. Uh, this will be the very instrument of the punishment that the Lord uses in their lives when people are engaged in sin and idolatry. There is self-destructive power that is inherent. In sin, when people turn away from the Lord. And down in verse 43, we even read of this, that I said of her who was worn out by adultery. Her whole being was spent by the spiritual adultery, and the Lord said to her, but they will continue to use her for a whore. Sin will pick up a human life and leave a lasting damage and destruction. And it is as though they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Sin will provide that kind of self-destruction. That's the misery and horror of being in service of sin under the bondage of sin. In slavery to sin, it's self-destructive power. But then thirdly, we see uh, the perspective of how this sin is not just uh, affecting people but it first and foremost provokes the Lord to jealousy. The Lord says, I'm the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. And thus, sin and idolatry is depicted as something that grieves the Lord profoundly. It provokes God to holy anger, holy zeal uh, for his own honor. And the Lord says in verse 25, I will direct my jealousy against you. I will pour out my fury. Sin is breaking the covenant. And as people break the covenant, the end result will be the Lord being provoked to jealousy and anger. The Lord, uh, responding to people, verse 35, forgetting and forsaking the maker who is the husband, the Lord will break out in his holy zeal and wrath. And it is always the case, isn't it, when sinners sin? The ultimate horror is not what the sin does to people, but what sin does to the Lord. It provokes the Lord. It is essentially putting what God has given and blessed people with in service of idolatry. And therefore, the Lord is profoundly angered. Uh, Verse 41, we read, It is my incense and my oil you spread upon the table to invite idolatry. Verse 40, the Lord again says, you adorned yourself with ornaments and makeup and bath to present yourself to sin while neglecting and forgetting me body and soul. You have sold yourself to sin when I yearn for you with jealousy, with divine jealousy. Then fourthly, we see that sin is something that is also profoundly defiling. Sin not only provokes God to anger, but it defiles sinners from which we need cleansing. Uh, Verse 7 and verse 30, we read that she, the sister, defiled herself with idols. And verse 37 and verse 38, with their idolatry, they committed adultery, and thereby they defiled my sanctuary. And what's in view in verse 37 on is the double-mindedness where God's people on the one hand, served sin and idols, but on the exact same day, they would come into God's house and come to take up God's ordinances, and the Lord says, they have defiled my sanctuary and my Sabbath, and they have brought defilement. That's a reminder that this is what sin does. Sin makes us defiled, makes holy things profane, and as she does so, the Lord says to her in verse 18, as she openly carried out her idolatry, the Lord said to her, I therefore turned in disgust from her. And then fifthly and finally, we see that sin and idolatry uh, have ultimately not just temporal, but eternal consequences. Uh, There is a judgment day. All covenant breakers face the curse that will fall upon them. And verse 35, we again, we read the Lord's pronouncement, you must bear the consequences Judgment will be executed. Uh, Verse 31, I will give her the cup of horror and desolation. And verse 35, there will be such thing as the sentence of adulteresses and the sentence that is merely beyond, not merely the Levitical stipulation of stoning the adulterer by death, uh, stoning to death um, the adulterer, But much more than that, all wages of sin being death, there is a sentence for every spiritual adulterer. There is a penalty to be borne. For all the Aholas and Aholabas in this world, there will be an eternal portion remaining for them. The eternal lake that burns with fire, which is the second death, which is reserved for all the faithless, detestable, idolaters, all liars, all the sexually immoral. And that's what the two sisters here and the account of the two adulterous women illustrating the history of spiritual adultery remind us of this morning. But as much as we are reminded of the judgment and the horror of sin, that's not the end of the story. Because the Bible goes on to present another woman. The Bible goes on to present not another defiled adulteress being fondled and possessed and then tossed away by sin and idol- idolatry and the nations of the world. But the Bible goes on to present a bride who is holy and radiant, a virgin. The Bible shows us not Samaria or Jerusalem ultimately, but the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, one who is called a wife belonging to Christ, the wife of the Lamb, the church of God, And it is too hard that we turn our attention as we finish, because that's the ultimate trajectory of all the scripture and indeed of all human history, that Jesus Christ is saving a people for himself to be his bride, the church, a people who are gathered in as that gospel of what Christ has done is proclaimed from Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to turn the idolaters into the bride of the lamb, to turn people in service of sin, into the worship of their maker and their husband. And all of creation, all of your life, wait with eager expectation for the unveiling of the church of Christ gathered in heaven. And as we read that blessed announcement by the angel, indeed, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the Apostle John sees this heavenly reality in revelation the angel says to john come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and i want simply to remind you that that's you this morning in jesus christ that's every believer who's been brought into this mysterious union that the church has with christ which can only be pictured in this one flesh relationship of marriage the most intimate of all relationships based on love and grace and that's you if you have believed into Jesus Christ, and you are the bride, not a spiritual adulteress. And although by nature you are all covenant breakers, because of our sin, we are defiled in our former ways. We are still afflicted with the symptoms of the disease of Egypt from our unredeemed state. He has called us to himself. He has given us a new heart. He has washed us clean. He has put his spirit within us and he has made us his own bride. And you are the bride, believer, whom Christ loved and gave himself up for. You are the beloved bride. Jesus Christ loves you and gave himself up for you. And that's the only ground, only ground on which any sinner becomes the wife of the Lamb. This is not like Esther in the Persian court of Ahasuerus from the book of Esther where you sort of have to win the spiritual beauty contest based on your own merit, beauty, or attraction in order to be promoted to be the royal queen, as it were. The reason you have been made a bride of the Lamb is because he set his love upon you from before the foundation of the world. He looked upon you in in his pity and compassion towards you He saw you in his divine, holy jealousy. And while you are yet sinners, when you are offering yourself body and soul on the auction block of this evil age in order to give yourself to sin and idols and pleasures and money and whatever the case may be, while, while you are offering yourself on the auction block of spiritual prostitution to whoever is the highest bidder in your estimation, while you are held in that bondage, Christ, the Son of God, came. He came down from heaven, exchanging the glory of heaven for the miseries of this life. And the gospel declares to you that he offered himself to you, and he, well, he has bought you with a price, and he gave his life as a ransom to redeem you from all the ways of adultery. Jesus, uh, it was said of Jesus in his earthly ministry, Uh, This is the one who came to eat with tax collectors and prostitutes. And that is indeed true. He came to eat with you. He came to bring you into fellowship. And in order to do that, he had to discharge all the debt. He paid all the legal consequences of your spiritual prostitution in your former sinful ways. Christ is the one who bore the consequences of all our lewdness and whoring spiritually. Upon him was laid fully the penalty for all our spiritual idolatry. Jesus is the one sold for 30 pieces of silver, then delivered into the hands of the unclean. And he stood under the sentence of adulterers as the king of the adulterous nation, Israel. And the cup depicted in our chapter in verse 31, that cup which was to be placed into the hands of Israel and Judah, that cup which was deep and large containing much, that cup of horror and desolation, that cup that would bring much staggering mockery, derision, had to be brought to the Son of God so that He had to drink every drop from that large cup and exhaust it and as we read in verse 34, he had to drink it and drain it out completely. But this is what happened in the cross. That deep and large cup from the hand of the Heavenly Father filled with wrath, he drank down to the last rack. What should have been our portion, what should have been given to his own bride, the Heavenly Bridegroom drank it to the full, drained it out as it entered his own body and soul so that this morning you bear it no more and what a thing to remember constantly to meditate upon especially as we prepare to come to the table next lord's day what jesus christ has done for you in his love towards you the cup that was deep and large pictured in our chapter what god has done in order to bound himself to you as your husband, as your covenant head, as your Savior, as your Lord, is to take all the consequences of the broken covenant upon himself. Christ had to be stripped naked in order that you may be clothed in your nakedness. Christ had to die in order that in his blood you may live. All the violence that we deserved and pictured in this chapter fell upon him The defilement that we brought upon ourselves is replaced by his purity and righteousness. And that's what Jesus has done. And there is no spiritual qualification to being this woman, the bride of Christ, except that you come to him and you believe in him. It was his grace and his love that has done it. And because of it was by his grace and his love, you bring nothing to it. In fact, all you have received from his hand is a cup that is even deeper and larger, filled with blessing and salvation. And if Christ has done that for you, if that's who you are, not Ohola, Oholaiba, but the bride of the Lamb, what then should be your response to Jesus Christ? And I, I want to simply remind you of all the things you know and you live by. What should be your response to your covenant head and your Savior? It is simply that you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It is to give the Lord Jesus all of your heart in virgin love to him. It is that you do not forget the love that you had first when the love of God in Christ was shed abroad in your heart. To walk in love and faith means you walk in obedience to his commandments, particularly You express that love in obedience to the first four commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, the Lord your God says. You shall worship me as commanded by the scriptures. You shall honor me and reverence my name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The holy day of rest and worship given to you to remember me. This means you keep yourself from idols. Knowing all the idols that bring defilement to you and provoke God's jealousy and idols are not some carved images these are all sorts of things money pleasures things that you would not let go and that will be put to profound test this evening for so many Christian professing believers when millions of Americans tune into TV with their party on rather than choosing to worship God it's concrete thing, day-to-day, little things like that. The Lord says, you shall have no other God before me. That means you do not lust after other things, being covetous, or as First John chapter 2 says, lust of the eye, desires of the flesh, pride of life, the God of mammon. That means you do not grieve the spirit with whom you have been sealed by your sin. That means you cling to Jesus Christ. You run to Him. You cleave to Him. Singularly, wholeheartedly, devotedly, you cling closely to the bosom of your heavenly bridegroom. In James chapter 4 verse 4, we read the apostle addressing the church. You adulterous people. You double-minded. When you let your devotion to Christ become compromised, when you grow in your love towards the world, you're becoming like Ohola and Oholaiba. You adulterous people, but rather your love to the Lord Jesus, sincere, wholehearted, and uncompromising. And that means you simply cling with all of your being to the Lord Jesus. The one who loved you and gave himself up for you. And he will protect you. He will shelter you under his wings. And you shall dwell in his shadow. And actually, that's the greatest antidote to sin, isn't it? In all our struggles with indwelling sin. Sin that can so bring grief to our Lord and Savior. The greatest antidote is that we cleave to Christ. We cling to Christ. Because you have come to share in the closest possible relationship with Christ. You abide in Him. You abide in His presence. You set the Lord always before you. And He will keep you. And He will guard you. He will protect you from your wandering eyes. From your dissatisfied and anxious heart. He will awaken your drowsy souls and He will guard your steps. And when you do sin, you return quickly to Him, knowing that He's your propitiation, He's your advocate, Christ your heavenly husband, who loves you, whose blood cleanses you from all your righteousness, whose words sanctified you. And that's really the message to the woman who is not Ohola or But the heavenly Jerusalem, the message to the church is simply this. As we read in verse 35, the Lord says to his apostate nations, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences. Oh, the glorious message to you this morning, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message to you, the heavenly Jerusalem, is simply the reverse of that that says to you, remember Christ and set set him always before you. Remember him who bore the consequences in your place on your behalf. And when you do that, you truly begin to enjoy covenant fellowship with Christ. You truly begin to enjoy the close fellowship with your heavenly bridegroom who is one day returning. I simply remind you of this gospel truth. The Lord Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you, uh, seeks you with all divine yearning and passion, the devotion and love of the whole of your heart. And the one thing and one thing only will secure that from you, and that is when you understand what it is that Christ has done for you in his grace and love. And the question is, do you cling to Jesus Christ by faith? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your being? And that's the calling given to the church as his bridegroom, as his bride and Christ as our bridegroom. Well, may we rejoice in this truth. May we rejoice in our God who has delivered us from sin, idolatry, the judgment to come. May we enjoy the Lord our God who has brought us into the joy of his presence and fellowship. Well, let's pray together.